welcome to the Trail Stewards Radio Hour. I'm Chad Swimmer, and I'm missing my friend Paul Schulman, but I alone am going to take you for a walk in my backyard in Jackson, the People's Forest, a place I have been riding, walking, foraging for mushrooms and berries in, and hauling trash for over 28 years. So, Jackson... What is Jackson? 78 square miles of different flavors of redwood forest stretching from Mendocino, just near, just east of the town, almost to Willits. It was bought by the state of California from the Casper Lumber Company in 1947. And a little aside that we've learned recently that before that, it seemed like there was a possibility that the federal government was going to buy it and possibly turn this whole area into a national, Redwood National Park. But chambers of commerce up and down the coast basically got together and said no. This was named after Jacob Green Jackson, the founder of Casper Lumber Company, one of the biggest timber barons in California history, and one uh, and the person responsible, or one of the people responsible, for clear-cutting all these hillsides. The mandate is timber production, demonstrating economical forestry. There's a lot of secondary mandates, but the primary mandate is that. The trail stewards... And we are the Trail Stewards Radio Hour, and again, our our opinions are those of us and not the border staff of KZYA, KZYX. Um, we were founded in March of 2020, so we're babies. We are trying to change the mandate and the management of this place. So I have a great show for you coming up tonight. I have a conversation with three people together, with Sarah Constance Rose, with Alder and Michelle McMillan. We're all sitting on a deck talking and uh trying to take advantage of the outdoors and socially distance. And after that, we're going to hear from Vince Taylor, the founder of the original campaign to restore Jackson. Right now, though, I have a question and an answer. The question is, what is Jackson the People's Forest? Why are we calling this the People's Forest? I went and made a little recording the other day of some people at the Casper Scales, the Gemini Action Camp, where there's a lot of community activity going on pretty much every morning. I'd like you to listen to this. Gemini Action Camp in East Casper. There's a group of 15 people walking up, and I'm wondering what you're all doing here. Well, we gather, we're gathering together here so we can sit together in the forest and have like a half hour quiet time of meditation. We thought this would be a lovely way to bring people into the forest and to be here in a quiet way, just to appreciate it and to get maybe more involved if they want to. This is an easy way to get involved in trying to save the forest. I'd heard in Japan people do something that's called forest bathing. Mm -hmm. Would you equate that to this? Forest what? Bathing. Forest bathing. Ah. Do you know what that is? Yeah, I think that um, the forest and the trees put off all sorts of wonderful, uh, help me here, Chad. Energy. Energy and for you and for your spirit and for your health. And so like in Tokyo, where they don't have so much forest as they do, they go to the park and that's what they're doing. We feel like it, whether you're interested in getting involved in the movement or not, you could still want to just sit in the forest together. Well, thank you for talking with me. Have a lovely time out there, and we'll see you next week. So.
So that is every Thursday morning at about 9.30 at the Casper Scales on the Casper Logging Road. A group of people go out and meditate in the woods. There is also music often Thursday about 10.30 and mostly just people trying to make Jackson into a community place. We have some news for you. We are proud to say that at the moment, there seems to be no logging going on in Jackson State. The People's Moratorium is holding. There are five timber harvest plans that are officially approved and could be active, but we have to say thank you for thank you to Earth First and all the non-affiliated direct activists for creating this situation and for reporting going around all the time and making sure that nothing's happening. There was a small fire on the ridge between Casper and Big River on Friday, last Friday, and it was quickly put out by Cal Fire, but it took place in the middle of the Porter THP or in the on the edge of the Porter THP, and again showing that fires often start in already logged out areas. And we don't know why it was started. Doesn't seem to be any lightning cause, but it's near a road and it's an area that people shoot and people often smoke cigarettes. So that's our best guess. Uh, some kind of bad news on the climate front that, as many of you know, this was the last July was the hottest July on record. Uh, it's pretty much virtually certain that if we keep up our business as usual practices like this, July will go down as one of the coolest. This July will go down as one of the coolest in the 21st century. True and sobering. Things are getting hotter and unfortunately, logging is one of the most climate intensive activities that humans engage in so we're doing our best to we don't expect that we're going to stop it all immediately but we and many people are saying it's time for the human race to wean ourselves from this next i would like to present a good conversation i had this is a an excerpt from it and this was take this took place outdoors and so there's a little bit of background noise but considering the delta variant the covid pandemic this seems to be what we're going to have to do for a lot of our our interviews this is with three forest activists and you'll hear all about it next to a pond on old casper railroad having a conversation with three activists who have been working hard on the casper 500 timber harvest plan I have with me Alder, who's 26 years old and sometimes is known as the Ninja Guy. Alder. Hey, hey Chad. Hey, thanks for being here. Yeah, I also am speaking with Sarah Constance Rose. She's 15 years old, a forest and climate activist. Glad you're here. Thanks for having me. And we have Michelle McMillan, a 25-year-old forest activist and the executive director of the Mendocino Coast Resilience Network. Hey, Chad. Hello. Oh, um, First thing I would like to ask you about is just to tell me how you got here, and that being here, like Mendocino County, some of you are from here, but here being forest activists. And why don't we start with Alder? Yeah, so I had kind of a bumpy road here. Um, actually, before, well, maybe a year ago or so, I was pretty much pro-logging, and I saw logging as being a sustainable source for a vital product that we need. Um, Although, honestly, I feel lied to because I started to do the research behind it and started to discover that it's not uh, not at all what it's it, it sounds like. Um, it is sustainable if you ignore all of the impact that it does. Um, you can keep cutting it, but if the climate is changing, it's not very sustainable. So 
after doing a whole bunch of research, I came to the conclusion that I, uh, I don't support cutting large redwoods. And that's what got me into uh, trying to save the trees. Thanks. You once told me that you worked in a mill. Is that true? Yeah, not. Uh, well, I didn't really work in a mill, but I have cut plenty of uh, trees for firewood. I've cut plenty of trees for saw logs. I have operated a um, uh, a Lucas wing blade mill, um, and you know, really under the impression that it's not so bad if you just take a tree here and a tree there. Um, and uh, yeah, so I've I've done my fair share of cutting as well, but um, I have. I've done the research now, and it's very compelling, and uh, I, I don't think that in today's climate uh, we should still be cutting large redwoods on a, uh, on a large scale, like what's happening in Jackson Demonstration State Forest. Thanks. Thanks. I'd love to talk more about this later in the interview, but yeah. I'd like to hear from Sarah. Tell um, us about yourself. Yeah, so I grew up here in Mendocino County. Um, I didn't feel like jumping into this was like that far of a stretch for me um my mom grew up during redwood summer in mendocino county so like i've sort of been like raised with just like the awareness that people fight big battles to save redwoods and it's pretty normal and pretty wonderful um and honestly just like being alive and someone of my generation right now um, means being really aware of the climate crisis, and this is a huge part of that. So, Thanks, Sarah. And Michelle? Well, like Sarah, I was born and raised here and raised with a deep understanding of the environment and the threats to it. Mendocino has such a long and dramatic logging history, and growing up with Big River Valley as a backyard really influenced who I am and how I live my life. Um, as far as the action in Jackson Demonstration Forest, I recently moved back home, as many of us did for COVID, and had a, an idea that something was going on in the forest, but wasn't as active in it as I probably could have been um, until I got pulled in to help do media work for the tree sit. And really all I have to say about that is be very careful what pizza parties you go to in Kamshi. <laughs> pizza party in Kamshi is where you heard about this? I think you know who threw it, too. Yes, I we went to a pizza party, and I was not expecting anything other than pizza, and instead I've been helping write press releases and spread the word about direct action in Jackson for the last four months. Well, thank you for doing it. I am very curious about... So, have you all heard about the latest International Panel on Climate Change report? Oh, yes. 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 It is sobering, but it also could be considered in a positive light in some ways. And I'd like to hear uh, just each of you talk a little bit about it, what your feelings are. Yeah, sure. I could jump in on that. Um, so uh, I, I haven't read uh, enough of the report to really speak in depth about it. Um, however, I think what it's doing is it's, it's reaffirming what we have already known for a really long time, um, that the global climate is changing and the global temperature is rising at an exponential rate faster than we thought it was, um, and that it is without a shadow of a doubt it, it's human cause, uh, and that the, the actions that we're taking and the actions that we're going to take um, are seriously uh, contributing to 
um, the climate crisis. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm very eager to dig into that some more. I mean, I would say a very similar thing. I think hopefully it's opening the eyes of people that weren't quite so aware. Um, I think it's just proving our point that this forest needs to be saved more now more than ever. For me, it was empowering to see the numbers and the graphs and how wide people, widely people are talking about this. There are so many high-level headlines going on right now, um, and so many of them are tied in under this umbrella of climate change. We have fires like we've never seen before. We have unprecedented drought. Um, we have rainstorms simultaneously in other places, and to be reminded that there is a reason for this. It is clear. It is rigorously scientifically proven. And there are steps that we can take to combat that. And one of those steps is stopping industrial logging on public lands and the taking of the largest and most necessary trees. Yeah, those are all really good points. And, uh, and, and hearing all of this, you know, it's not new information, although it is now being more so than ever widely agreed by um, everybody that, that it's happening. Uh, but meanwhile, we've got the Department of Forestry in their THPs saying that, uh, well here this is right out of the THP, global climate change and the variables that influence this change are subject to intensive scientific investigation and debate. For now, the consensus is that temperature within the Earth's atmosphere is increasing, although exactly how and to what extent human activity plays a role in global climate change appears to be unknown. And that is from a government body in California, in THPs, in timber harvest plans to this date. Yeah, the first time I read that, that it was very disturbing. This is Chad, and that was Alder saying that. And uh, Alder, when you first read that, did you feel like that was something that maybe the forester had written? Um, I... You know, I was I was pretty disappointed, and I was not under the illusions that um, it was an individual forester. It, I feel like it's systematic. I know that it's systematic. The I've spoken to the foresters in the field, and they uh, have told me that um, that everybody in the department acknowledges that climate change is real, and that it's human caused. Like the individuals working here. Have acknowledged that it's real. However, by putting that in the plan, that they officially don't believe that it's human caused, or they don't believe that there's enough information to say that it's human caused, um, that kind of gives them the rights to do things that, if they had to acknowledge it, would just be outrageous. There's no way they could get away with it. Um, so yeah, I, I don't think it's individual people. I think it's systematic. Mm -hmm. yeah. Thanks. I have a question for Sarah, and then for all of you, a little background so this is this interview is on KZYX and this is public radio and the average age of public radio listeners in the United States is 51 that say two-thirds of public radio listeners lie between 35 and 64 years old and Sarah you're 15 and I know when I was 15 I already was aware of climate change and I have to say I was very angry at people who who were older than me and I don't want to put words in your mouth, so I want to hear what you would say to people like me. I'm 53 now. Um, 
I feel like that is definitely a very common thing that I hear from people, um, is this sort of, like, anger towards the older generations that, you know, messed, messed everything up. And I definitely sort of see where they're coming from, but also I think that, like, especially working on this, there's a lot of people from older generations that are out there and are fighting with us. And so I think that, like, it's not too late. Like, even if you're an older generation and you've, quote, unquote, like, messed everything up, you can still work to help fight it. You don't need to pass it off to us. Michelle, you told me earlier not to ask you about this, but I really want to hear what you have to say. Yeah, well, I really like what Sarah said, and I think it's a really good point which is that it's not too late and just because things went a certain way doesn't mean the baton needs to be passed. Um, I did ask you not to ask me earlier because I have been known to get a little fiery on this topic. However, I only get fiery when older generations turn to me and say, so what are you guys doing to fix this? What are you guys doing? Back in my day, we protested or we did this or we did that. Um, and I... I have an academic background in economics. I understand what the system that we live in and that not everyone is capable of fighting for the change that they believe in that they would like to see. I also know what it means to be 25 and prematurely exhausted by the reality of climate change. Um, and so I'm really grateful for what Sarah just said about reminding ourselves that we're all in this together. There's no passing it on. There's no this generation or that generation. We all work together and we fix it or we don't. Mm -hmm. So Alder, let me rephrase this and reframe it, that a lot of the mantle for change has been placed on us. Like we should, it's our personal responsibility to do something. And we also have to look at it in a different way that the people who are placing that mantle are the corporations and industry. And they say that they're not changing because this is what we want because we want these products and we want these things. And I'll take it back to you where you said, well, I don't see that cutting large redwoods is a good thing anymore. Uh, what can we do differently? Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah, that's a good, that's a good question. Um, that's kind of the classic, you know, uh, a soda company produces a whole bunch of plastic bottles and says that the problem isn't that they're producing plastic bottles, the problem is that people are using plastic bottles and littering with them, um, and the timber industry kind of says the same thing. You know, it's not it's not the industry that's cutting trees down uh, that's the problem. The problem is that people are using the wood, and it's it's kind of a silly thing to say. There are other options out there. Um, they may not be completely fleshed out yet, and we should continue to develop them. Um, but things like hemp uh, produce way more pulp per acre. Uh, than, than trees do. It's much more sustainable. Um, bamboo, uh, there's multiple companies now that are making bamboo plywood, and it's too small and it's too niche right now to be um, a widespread solution. Um, but those are some of the things that we can work on developing that can start to help replace uh, the use of wood. Um, but also with the redwoods that we're talking about, we're not building houses out of that. If you're building a house out of redwood, it's either because you're using salvaged redwood from back in the day, um, or you have money to burn, 
and you want a nice house with pretty redwood. And one of those is unsustainable, and the other one is unfair. Um, climate change is going to affect different communities um, more harshly. Uh, lower income communities are going to be affected far more um, than, uh, than the people that are building the redwood houses. So how can, how can the consumption of a handful um, dictate, what happen, dictate what happens with the rest of the world? It's, it's really just not fair. We need to um, stop using redwoods to build decks and siding and fences and, and pretty houses for people that have the money to pay for it. They should be used for sequestering carbon, storing that carbon. It's not enough to sequester it. You have to store it um, and to, uh, to mitigate the damages of climate change. I heard from one of the people who I met through you that they were building cob houses in Redwood Valley, and those houses were the ones that withstood the, the really hot fire. And I do know from my own experience being in cob houses, they are much more economical to heat and cool. So it feels to me like in these times of fire and change that wood is really not a good building material, aside from its environmental footprint. We are almost out of time right now, but I would like to encourage people, if you want to keep listening to this conversation, we're going to go on and we will have a full conversation on the Mendocino Trail Stewards website at our media links page. Look for a conversation with Alder and Michelle and Sarah. But before we go, before we sign off from KZYX, I'd just like to ask you all if you could say one or two things that you would like to see from the older generation. And I don't mean that in a guilt trippy kind of way. Just, you know, we're all in this together and we need to make a change. And that, you know, IPCC report made it clear. So what would you like to see us all do? And start with Sarah. Um, I mean, I'd like to see them getting actively involved. And like, I know for it's not an option for everyone to be up in the early morning hours doing direct action, but there are tons of other ways that you can get involved, and I think that it's important that people in older generations do that as well. Um, I would like to say that your kids and grandkids are going to see the decisions that you're making, and they're going to be, um, yeah, they're going to know the contributions that you've had to the issue or the contributions that you've had to the solution. And I would love to see more participation or maybe if you're on the fence, you know, I was on the fence a year ago and I, I wasn't sure. I thought that logging was very sustainable. Um, if you're on the fence, take the time to look at the information. It's really compelling. It's put together by very educated people that are spending a lot of time doing research. Look at the information before you make your final decision or before you spread propaganda like log it, graze it, or watch it burn. Look at the information and make your own decision. Thanks, Alder. Michelle? Yeah, really well said, both of you guys. I would also encourage the older generation to empower those same kids and grandkids. We've had some amazing activists who don't yet have a driver's license, who've come to rallies, who've spoken, who've sung. Um, and who've been present with us, you can also do things um, like spread the word in your own community, especially on the Mendocino Coast. We have people in very different little pockets. 
Um, and I'm sure that's the same when you go inland and elsewhere. So if you're older and you have another home somewhere or you have family somewhere else, you have kids on the other side of the country, let them know what's going on here and loop people into this movement as well. Thanks, Michelle. And thank you, Michelle. Thank you, Alder. And thank you, Sarah Constance Rose. That was recorded a couple of days ago. And uh, the information that Alder was talking about is a bunch of different policy papers that we have on the Mendocino Trail Stewards website. But that's not the only place he got his, his information. I would like to take a moment to talk about a coming show. So I'd like to read about Chris Skyhawk. Join Chris for Universal Perspectives this week on Thursday at 7 p.m. He'll talk with local forest activist Kent Graney about the daily Gemini Action Camp in Casper that has been instrumental in temporarily stopping logging in Jackson Demonstration State Forest. We'll also hear from Gene Jackson of Friends of the Gualala River about the recent logging of the Dogwood Timber Harvest Plan. He'll then welcome Kelda Britton, a Round Valley teacher who recently published an article entitled Return of the Ancestors Commemorates Pit River Survival During Forced Military Marches. She will discuss past genocidal injustices endured by tribal peoples in Northern California and efforts to heal from intergenerational trauma from these events. That's the Universal Perspectives, Thursday night at 7, right here on KZYXNZ. I'd like to remind us all that support for KZYXNZ comes from our members and the Mendocino Transit Authority, taking time to thank passengers and drivers for their cooperation and efforts to slow the spread of COVID-19. For a schedule and information, mendocinotransit.org or one 800-696-4-MTA. And I would like to add just a couple things to the news that um, Cal Fire is issuing firewood permits. But I want to say beware, because unfortunately, as we know, they are doing, or as a lot of us don't know, they are doing hack and squirt. This is... Uh, has been prohibited by Mendocino County. Mendocino County voters on, in Measure V voted against hack and squirt, which is where you cut a little piece out of the bottom of a tree and squirt it with herbicide. Imazapir is the one they're using now the most. And theoretically, they would have to have taken it away before 90 days so that it weren't a fire hazard. But unfortunately, a lot of our direct activists on the ground have found trees standing much more than 90 days after hack and squirt. And these are tan oaks, and that's mostly what people, tan oaks and madrones, unfortunately, beautiful, large trees. And that's what people like to use for firewood. So if you're out there collecting firewood, be careful. And also, for those foragers out there, there are lobster mushrooms out. They're not very common here, but they are out, and they're beautiful. Right now, I would like to welcome Vince Taylor. Vince, can you hear me? Yes, I can. Are you there, Vince? All right. Yes, I am. Thank you, Vince. Vince Taylor now lives in the North Bay, but he lived here for many years, and he was the founder of the original campaign to restore Jackson. He worked for 20 years or more uh, to save this forest, Jackson the People's Forest. There's a lot more to say, but I'd rather just have him talk and I'm so glad you're here. My, well, I have thank a th- you for having me. Thank you. So can you tell us when and why did you first get involved with Jackson Forest? Yes, well, I moved out to um, Mendocino 
in 1989, and uh, we actually bought a place in Casper, but it was being renovated, so we lived in Surfwood, and I was close then to Jackson State Forest, and I, I was excited because I come from Vermont, and the redwood trees were just amazing and phenomenal as far as I was concerned. And so I started walking in Jackson Forest, and I thought, this is unbelievably beautiful. I'm just so happy. And then I maybe went a 100 yards, and I came into this big opening where there was all this kind of brush and fallen logs and stumps, and I thought, what is going on? And then I made my way through it, which wasn't easy, and then I got into beautiful forest again, and then another 100 yards or so and into one of these clearings. And I now know they're what they call group selection, but what is really small clear cuts. And they just totally destroy the beauty of the forest, which was what was mostly I was looking for at that time was just the beautiful nourishment that comes from being in, in nature and such an incredible surroundings as a, an undisturbed redwood forest gives to you. So I thought, and coming from Vermont, in Vermont the state forests are really treated pretty much like they are preserves. They're used not for logging but for the people and for the watershed and for all those things. And I thought to myself, I said, it's not right that a state forest is being treated in this way. This is a forest that's owned by the people. And why is it being treated in this way? So anyway, that's how I got involved. And I started going to the headquarters of Jackson Forest in the early 90s and getting their management plan and talking to some of the foresters and learning about it. And uh, um, it's interesting. I came across, now that this has risen up again, by 1995, I, I had known, known enough about what was going on and was alarmed enough because they were doing in the early 90s exactly what they are doing now in terms of moving their logging operations from the eastern side where nobody really saw them out to the western side where it was impacting very directly on people's recreation and their if they built their house near the forest they were logging right up to the forest and, and today I was looking at a, at a um, plan for Hare Creek, where they were going right over a right over a, a recreation trail and right on it. I mean, so that kind of thing. It, I thought this isn't good, and I put out my first newsletter in 1995. And uh, I think what I said in that, I'm going to quote just a little bit, uh, is still really relevant. It says, "Jackson State Forest is public land owned by the people of California." It is presently being managed by the California Department of Forestry as a logging operation. The profits from selling public trust resources are being used to subsidize private logging corporations and forest owners. This is wrong. The destruction of public forest for private profit should stop. And I think this is exactly as relevant today as it was then. It's a, it just, I mean, it just doesn't make sense that we have so little publicly owned forest. And in Mendocino, this is it pretty much for public forest. There's a little bit of state parks, but almost minuscule 
and it, I think it's only like five percent of the timber holdings in in Mendocino County. So it's not very much of it of the timber, but it's the only part of the timber that the public has a real right to control. And instead of controlling it, it's turned over to the California Department of Forestry, which treats it just like it was a industrial timber operation yeah there's something i'd like to add in that's that that has occurred to us recently that so this is four point jackson is 4.5 percent of the timber production zone lands in mendocino county and it is it does have a much higher inventory it's got much more um saleable wood on it and jackson cal fire cdf we'll talk about the cal fire cdf dichotomy later but cdf it takes a lot of credit for this, except they consider you, Vince, as kind of an enemy because you stopped logging in Jackson for eight years, and you sent me a graph of how many millions of board feet they were taking out in the 80s and 90s. And if you follow that graph up to today, that mm-hmm. and you had not stopped logging with your lawsuit, they would have taken out a minimum of 600 million more board feet out of Jackson. And it would not look the way it does now, and they could not take credit for it being a beautiful place. So I, I have to thank you for this. Well, I appreciate the thanks, but I have to say they are still doing a whole lot of destruction. It's just lessened the destruction that they did, but uh, it, um, it, they have, have no sense of concern about ecology, about recreation, about climate change, any of those things. So it was fortunate that the campaign was able to stop them, and it was fortunate that part of the outcome of the lawsuits is that it forced them to reduce their rate of timber harvesting by about 50% of what they would have done otherwise. So the forest has been much less devastated in the interim than it would otherwise have been but still they when they put in a logging plan they go looking for the places where the oldest trees are the biggest trees and those are the ones they mark to cut so they're they're reducing the amount of volume they're taking out but they're still doing incredible devastation to the real ecology of redwood forest that we need to have recovering not being made to get worse over time so i want to ask you a a question that you you pointed out a while back that we should not be using the word the name cal fire when we criticize them that we should be saying cdf and we have talked about it we feel it's really important but can you can you explain this well yes we i think when people think of cal fire they the word brings to mind the people who are protecting people's houses from getting consumed by forest fires, and they have a a positive attitude towards those people. But that is the dominant, I mean, what, what the official name is for CAL FIRE is the California Department of Forestry and Fire Protection. That is still its official name. And CAL FIRE is, is just the, the common name that they chose to have. But the California Department of Forestry is concerned with 
basically their job is to approve commercial timber harvesting operations in the state. That is 95% of what the forestry division of the California Department of Forestry and Fire Protection does. And it's really important for people to understand that the people who staff the forestry division of California Department of Forestry, or CDF for short, the CDF personnel are all there. They're trained as loggers, basically. The schools of forestry are completely mistermed because you would think they would learn about the ecology of forests, but they don't. They learn about how you can most efficiently convert standing trees into timber without and how. And they also spend a lot of time teaching them about how they can get around the environmental regulations to the maximum without violating the law. So I don't like people to talk about cow fire in terms of managing Jackson State Forest because it's not the fire people who do it. It's the logging side of CDF that does it. So when you say CDF, you say California Department of Forestry, at least in people's mind, they're thinking about the people who are in charge of, I would say, mismanaging our forests, but anyway, not the people who are protecting our homes from fires. And this is one of the issues that's been brought up by uh, Why Forests Matter, is, is that these are all people who are officially paid out of a different pot, that Jackson, the, the the revenues that come out of Jackson go to support forestry management, which is at this point kind of creating infrastructure for more logging. But last year, uh, quite a few of them left the office here in Fort Bragg and headed up to fight the August fire. And I talked to some forestry aides the other day who were saying how they're they're on notice that they could pack up and head up to a fire at any any minute, and so thus we're we're taking profits or we're taking money revenues from timber harvest to fight more fires <laughs> and at the mm-hmm. same time doing timber harvests that increase the fire danger in the forest the other thing that occurred to me is um that you're uh, you mentioned that pretty much everybody working for cdf and the forestry department they're all foresters and forestry is considered as taught as a science but this is not to say that these people are bad they just don't necessarily have any kind of real science background and a lot of the the demonstration projects that they're planning are that they, they don't pass scientific muster and we're left in a situation where they're creating timber harvest slapping a 10 acre demonstration on it and then submitting it to themselves i was wanting to hear from you that um you've said that CDF should not have any role in the management of JDSF in the future. If it's possible, if we can pull Jackson away from CDF, what will we do, and why do you say this? Well, I say it because the purpose of, of our effort here is to move Jackson Forest from being a commercial timber operation to being a preserve to allow the natural qualities of this redwood forest to recover and restore its 
itself and heal itself from all the depredations that have been done to it. And if anybody was going to manage it, they should be people who are concerned with conserving and enhancing the natural qualities of a redwood forest. And the people in, who staff CDF have no training or interest in that side of it. I, I, I mean, I really, I, I've spent a lot of time now looking at the history of, of CDF and, and Jackson Forest, but also in the state as a whole and what they have allowed to happen to our timberlands. I mean, the main way in which timberland is managed in California now is by clear cuts. All the, and that's the industrial forest. Well, clear cutting completely destroys any sense of, of the ecology and, and has all kinds of negative side effects. CDF, that, that was how they managed JDSF all through the, the beginning, from the beginning of the time they did it. Originally they did kind of reduced it by all the old growth redwoods in the forest by 70% because that was what everybody was doing out in the private timber companies because of the tax. Well, JDSF didn't have to pay the tax on timber. They could have preserved the old growth, but no, they just emulated what was going on in the commercial timberlands. Then once that was done, they clear-cut what was left of it, and then when it went to second growth, harvesting in the 80s, they again emulated what was happening on, on commercial timberland, which is to do clear cuts of all the second growth. And that really went on into the early 90s when finally people began to protest and uh, object and raise hell about it, and then they backed away and started doing more of what they call even-age management, uneven-age management, but even within that, they used this group selection thing in Jackson, it's their preferred form of even age management, which is all a bunch of clear cuts. They just don't have any feeling or care or sense of any sacred quality of a forest. And I've really come to feel that it's the real division between people like us who are working to preserve this forest because we see it we see it partly in practical terms for carbon sequestration but i think almost all of the people who are working on this have a much deeper feeling about the sacred nature of redwood forest and the opportunity to actually let one of these areas of the world that have been destroyed have a chance to heal itself and recover towards what it was before is an incredible opportunity and a, a really amazing possibility for us to bring about, to show something that's the opposite of what we have been doing everywhere else, which is making it worse, all the forest, worse, 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 worse. Here we'd have some piece of forest that could stand as, a, as an example of what could happen if we had a, a different approach and a different set of values. 
Yeah, there's the idea that we're doing forest forest management, and you know, I, I I thought of the root word of man and mono and hand and manipulation and men doing management, and we've got this this idea that we go in and we need to manipulate things to be able to have a healthy forest, and this forest was quite healthy for you know the redwood forest ecosystem for three hundred million years since before the first dinosaurs and it and now it's it's just this little teeny relic there's one of the things that to me i feel when i am out there and the idea of a sacred place is is that it's not just important for me it's important for the different trees that are out there and it's important for the different animals that are out there and there are a number of trees that are not considered so important one being the hemlock, the western hemlock, which in timber terms is hemfur. And it's, uh, you know, uh, right now, as in the Casper 500 THP, the, the minimum bid for hemlock and dug fur was $40 for 1,000 board feet. And redwood right. was $525 for 1,000 board feet. So obviously a devalued wood. But meanwhile, the other day I was in... Um, near my house in Jackson State, and I saw a western hemlock that was just, it looked like a wedding cake. with It was riddled with woodpecker holes, and it all looked like icing spilling out of the, the bark, and you know, this pileated woodpecker had flown away. And it was just a really a special moment. And meanwhile, mm-hmm. these trees are considered a nuisance. Right. I mean, right there already tells you something about their their mindset and their mind value because douglas fir because because partly because there are no nearby mills to uh mill it it doesn't have a commercial value so you would say well it doesn't have a commercial value why don't we allow those trees to stay there and grow and recover themselves well that's not how they think because they say oh no we'll cut them down and then we'll plant redwood trees they, the irony of this is in the 1980s, they were favoring Douglas fir because it had a high market value and Redwood didn't have such a high market value. So, you know, so then they were cutting down, you know, they were favoring replanting Douglas fir trees. But really, I want to just say again, I want to come back to that issue of having CDF manage Jackson Forest. I, because I, think they have succeeded in their public relations campaign to mislead people into feeling that they were at least reasonable stewards of this forest. And the truth of it is that they have been horrible stewards of this forest since day one when it was bought. And I'm, I'm in the process of compiling all the whole sorry history of, of JDSF and I titled the paper, um, Jackson Demonstration State Forest, A Tale of Self-Serving Fictions, Lies, Law-Breaking, Broken Public Trust, Gross Mismanagement, Greed, and Ecological Destruction. And I, so far, I'm, I've gotten 13 pages of this written, and I haven't even gotten to the part where they're breaking all the laws. And they have a, a consistent history of, of breaking the laws. It started right from the beginning when they got 5,000 acres of, of land that was deeded to them from the federal government. And on this land was 
was it was acquired by the federal government to build an outdoor center for recreation for people who lived in cities during the 1930s when they were using the Works Project Administration and the CCC to build these kind of things. And they, it, what, when they deeded it over, they got, it was deeded over with this specific restriction that it should be used only exclusively for public park recreation and conservation. And they, they, California Department of Forestry, got their own interpretation of that to say that Conservation was furthered by logging and industrial logging at that. And there's, I mean, it's never been challenged, but once it gets challenged in court, that, that is going to be held by the, by the courts to be completely illegal because the words are and parks rec- and recreation and conservation, not either or. And there's no way that logging is consistent with with parks and recreation. So that's the first way they broke the law. And they've gone in there, and there's still a lot of it that they have been afraid to log because they know they're illegal there. But now they have three timber harvest plants that are in there. And the reason they have it, because those are the area of the forest they haven't been able to get to. And there's 100 and 120-year-old trees. All right, but they are left in charge. That's the place they're going to come and say there's all these old, you know, trees that are declining and we have to cut them out. So that, that's one way they broke the law. Second way they broke the law was by exceeding the part of their mandate is that they should, it, it's in their law, is they set an allowable cut based on the growth of the forest. And then they're, they can exceed it for a couple of years, but on a five-year running average, they can't exceed it. Well, in the 1990s, they really were using that revenue, was used to fund a major portion of the forestry division of CDF. And so they needed that for their jobs. So they, in several years running, they exceeded their, their allowable cut, which is set by the law, set by their own rules. They were warned that they were exceeding it by a forester in there who wrote memos that I have, and they completely ignored it. They just went ahead and broke, and broke the law. And so in another way is that they're, um, you know, they have a mandate to manage for maximum sustained yield, which means for redwood trees that you would not cut redwood trees that are less than like 170, maybe 200 years old. There wouldn't, there aren't any redwood trees left in there that are that age. So they wouldn't be able to log. So they just ignored it. They just ignore it. And they certainly have ignored all of the uh, environmental laws as much as they possibly can. And uh, they haven't been caught on it. But it's just like now, you know, climate change is a big thing. Fire uh, hazards are a big thing. The last time they did an environmental impact re- report, was uh, in 2007. Well, the world has changed incredibly since 2007, but they're not updating any of their considerations for their management plan in that time. 
they don't care. I mean, what people need to understand is when people that are part of the Department of Forestry look at a forest, they see standing logs. They don't see animals. They don't see recreation. They don't see spirituality. They don't see that we have a connection with nature. They just see standing logs, and their job, in their eyes, is to get those standing logs converted into timber at the mill as fast as possible. Yeah, so these yeah. are not the kind of people that I want to have have anything to do with something as precious as Jackson State Forest. Wow. Thank you, Vince. We only have a couple minutes left, and there are many other questions I'd love to ask, and uh, we will hopefully have a conversation really soon that I'm going to record and put on our website, as I said earlier, that we are creating a podcast, and it will be downloadable from our website. All the shows that we you've been listening to are downloadable. And what I'd like to hear one last thing, we have one more minute. Do you have a favorite place in Jackson? Well, it, its favorite in my heart is, is Brandon Gulch because it was the place that I really came across when I was started the campaign and I was looking at all the timber harvest plans and I walked into this area. This was an area that had not been logged and touched since the original uh, removal of the old growth trees. Thank you so much for being with us, Vince, and really appreciate well, it. Well, and thank you. I want to just take 10, 10 or 15 We are losing Vince, unfortunately. But we'll be back. See you next month. Thank you so much. This has been a production of KZYX Philo 90.7 FM. KZYZ, Willitson, Ukiah, 91.5 FM, and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. Mendocino County Public Broadcasting. You can check out our website at kzyx.org to find more content like this, and consider donating by clicking the red donate button in the upper right corner. Thanks for listening. City blocks turn to rivers and trees.